chapter twenty of mrs craddock by william somerset mom this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by tony oliva but the love which had taken such despotic possession of bertha's nature could not be overthrown by any sudden means when she recovered her health and was able to resume her habits it blazed out again like a fire momentarily subdued which has gained new strength in its coercion it dismayed her to think of her extreme loneliness edward was now her only mainstay and her only hope she no longer sought to deny that his love was unlike hers but his coldness was not always apparent vehemently wishing to find a response to her ardour she closed her eyes to all that did not too readily obtrude itself she had such a consuming desire to find in edward the lover of her dreams that for certain periods she was indeed able to live in a fool's paradise which was none the less grateful because at the bottom of her heart she had an aching suspicion of its true character but it seemed that the more passionately bertha yearned for her husband's love the more frequent became their differences as time went on the calm between the storms was shorter and every quarrel left its mark and made bertha more susceptible to affront realizing finally that edward could not answer her demonstrations of affection she became ten times more exacting even the little tendernesses which at the beginning of her married life would have overjoyed her now too much resembled alms thrown to an importunate beggar to be received with anything but irritation their altercations proved conclusively that it does not require two persons to make a quarrel edward was a model of good temper and his equanimity was imperturbable however cross bertha was edward never lost his serenity he imagined that she was troubling over the loss of her child and that her health was not entirely restored it had been his experience especially with cows that a difficult confinement frequently gave rise to some temporary change in disposition so that the most docile animal in the world would suddenly develop an unexpected viciousness he never tried to understand bertha's varied moods her passionate desire for love was to him as unreasonable as her outbursts of temper and the succeeding contrition now edward was always the same contented equally with the universe at large and with himself there was no shadow of a doubt about the fact that the world he lived in the particular spot and period were the very best possible and that no existence could be more satisfactory than happily to cultivate one's garden not being analytic he forbore to think about the matter and if he had would not have borrowed the phrases of monsieur de voltaire whom he had never heard of and would have utterly abhorred as a frenchman a philosopher and a wit but the fact that edward ate drank slept and ate again as regularly as the oxen on his farm sufficiently proved that he enjoyed a happiness equal to theirs and what more can a decent man want edward 
had moreover that magnificent faculty of always doing right and of knowing it which is said to be the most inestimable gift of the true christian but if his infallibility pleased himself and edified his neighbors it did not fail to cause his wife the utmost annoyance she would clench her hands and from her eyes shoot arrows of fire when he stood in front of her smilingly conscious of the justice of his own standpoint and the unreason of hers and the worst of it was that in her saner moments bertha had to confess that edward's view was invariably right and she completely in the wrong her injustice appalled her and she took upon her own shoulders the blame of all their unhappiness always after a quarrel from which edward had come with his usual triumph bertha's rage would be succeeded by a passion of remorse and she could not find sufficient reproaches with which to castigate herself she asked frantically how her husband could be expected to love her and in a transport of agony and fear would take the first opportunity of throwing her arms around his neck and making the most abject apology then having eaten the dust before him having wept and humiliated herself she would be for a week absurdly happy under the impression that henceforward nothing short of an earthquake could disturb their blissful equilibrium edward was again the golden idol clothed in the diaphanous garments of true love his word was law and his deeds were perfect bertha was an humble worshipper offering incense and devoutly grateful to the deity that forbore to crush her it required very little for her to forget the slights and the coldness of her husband's affection her love was like the tide covering a barren rock the sea breaks into waves and is dispersed in foam while the rock remains ever unchanged this simile by the way would not have displeased edward when he thought at all he liked to think how firm and steadfast he was at night before going to sleep it was bertha's greatest pleasure to kiss her husband on the lips and it mortified her to see how mechanically he replied to this embrace it was always she who had to make the advance and when to try him she omitted to do so he promptly went off to sleep without even bidding her good-night then she told herself that he must utterly despise her oh it drives me mad to think of the devotion i waste on you she cried i'm a fool you are all in the world to me and i to you am a sort of accident you might have married any one but me if i hadn't come across your path you would infallibly have married someone else well so would you he answered laughing i never if i had not met you i should have married no one my love isn't a bauble that i'm willing to give to whomever chance throws in my way my heart is one and indivisible it would be impossible for me to love anyone but you when i think that to you i'm nothing more than any other woman might be i'm ashamed you do talk the most awful rot sometimes ah that summarizes your whole opinion to you i'm merely a fool of a woman i'm a domestic animal a little more companionable than a dog 
but on the whole not so useful as a cow i don't know what you want me to do more than i actually do you can't expect me to be kissing and cuddling all the time the honeymoon is meant for that and a man who goes on honeymooning all his life is an ass ah yes with you love is kept out of sight all day while you are occupied with the serious affairs of life such as shearing sheep or hunting foxes and after dinner it arises in your bosom especially if you've had good things to eat and is indistinguishable from the process of digestion but for me love is everything the cause and reason of life without love i should be non-existent well you may love me said edward but by jove you've got a jolly funny way of showing it but as far as i'm concerned if you'll tell me what you want me to do i'll try and do it oh how can i tell you she cried impatiently i do everything i can to make you love me and i can't if you're a stock and a stone how can i teach you to be the passionate lover i want you to love me as i love you well if you ask me for my opinion i should say it was rather a good job i don't why the furniture would be smashed up in a week if i were as violent as you i shouldn't mind if you were violent if you loved me replied bertha taking his remark with vehement seriousness i shouldn't care if you beat me i should not mind how much you hurt me if you did it because you loved me i think a week of it would about sicken you of that sort of love my dear anything would be preferable to your indifference but god bless my soul i'm not indifferent anyone would think i didn't care for you or was gone on some other woman i almost wish you were answered bertha if you loved anyone at all i might have some hope of gaining your affection but you're incapable of love i don't know about that i can say truly that after god and my honour i treasure nothing in the world so much as you you've forgotten your hunter cried bertha scornfully no i haven't answered edward with a certain gravity what do you think i care for a position like that you acknowledge that i am third i would as soon be nowhere i could not love you half so much loved i not honour more misquoted edward the man was a prig who wrote that i want to be placed above your god and above your honour the love i want is the love of the man who will lose everything even his own soul for the sake of a woman edward shrugged his shoulders i don't know where you'll get that my idea of love is that it's a very good thing in its place but there's a limit to everything there are other things in life oh yes i know there's duty and honour and the farm and fox-hunting and the opinion of one's neighbours and the dogs and the cat and the new brougham and a million other things what do you suppose you'd do if i had committed some crime and were likely to be imprisoned i don't want to suppose anything of the sort you may be sure i'd do my duty oh i'm sick of your duty you din it into my ears morning noon and night i wish to god you weren't so virtuous 
you might be more human edward found his wife's behavior so extraordinary that he consulted dr ramsay the medical man had been for thirty years the recipient of marital confidences and was sceptical as to the value of medicine in the cure of jealousy talkativeness incompatibility of temper and the like diseases he assured edward that time was the only remedy by which all differences were reconciled but after further pressing consented to send bertha a bottle of harmless tonic which it was his habit to give to all and sundry for most of the ills to which the flesh is heir it would doubtless do bertha no harm and that is an important consideration to a general practitioner dr ramsay likewise advised edward to keep calm and be confident that bertha would eventually become the dutiful and submissive spouse whom it is every man's ideal to see by his fireside when he wakes up from his after-dinner snooze bertha's moods were certainly trying no one could tell one day how she would be the next and this was peculiarly uncomfortable to a man who was willing to make the best of everything but on the condition that he had time to get used to it sometimes she would be seized with melancholy in the twilight of winter afternoons for instance when the mind is naturally led to a contemplation of the vanity of existence and the futility of all human endeavour edward noticing she was pensive a state which he detested asked what were her thoughts and half dreamily she tried to express them good lord deliver us he cried cheerily what rum things you do get into your little noddle you must be out of sorts it isn't that she answered smiling sadly it's not natural for a woman to brood in that way i think you ought to start taking that tonic again but i dare say you're only tired and you'll think quite different in the morning bertha made no answer she suffered from the nameless pain of existence and he offered her iron and quinine when she required sympathy because her heart ached for the woes of her fellow-men he poured tincture of nux vomica down her throat he could not understand it was no use explaining that she found a savour in the tender contemplation of the evils of mankind but the worst of it was that edward was quite right the brute he always was when the morning came the melancholy had vanished bertha was left without a care and the world did not even need rose-coloured spectacles to seem attractive it was humiliating to find that her most beautiful thoughts the ennobling emotions which brought home to her the charming fiction that all men are brothers were due to mere physical exhaustion some people have extraordinarily literal minds they never allow for the play of imagination life for them has no beer and skittles and far from being an empty dream is a matter of extreme seriousness of such is the man who when a woman tells him she feels dreadfully old instead of answering that she looks absurdly young replies that youth has its drawbacks and age its compensations and of such was edward he could never realize that people did not mean exactly what they said at first he had always consulted bertha on the conduct of the estate but she 
pleased to be a nonentity in her own house had consented to everything he suggested and even begged him not to ask her when she informed him that he was absolute lord not only of herself but of all her worldly goods it was not surprising that he should at last take her at her word women know nothing about farming he said and it's best that i should have a free hand the result of his stewardship was all that could be desired the estate was put into apple pie order and the farms paid rent for the first time since twenty years the wandering winds even the sun and the rain seemed to conspire in favor of so clever and hard-working a man and fortune for once went hand in hand with virtue bertha constantly received congratulations from the surrounding squires on the admirable way in which edward managed the place and he on his side never failed to recount his triumphs and the compliments they occasioned but not only was edward looked upon as master by his farmhands and laborers even the servants of court lays treated bertha as a minor personage whose orders were only to be conditionally obeyed long generations of servitude have made the countryman particularly subtle in hierarchical distinctions and there was a marked difference between his manner with edward on whom his livelihood depended and his manner with bertha who shone only with a reflected light as the squire's missus at first this had only amused bertha but the most brilliant jest constantly repeated may lose its savour more than once she had to speak sharply to a gardener who hesitated to do as he was bid because his orders were not from the master her pride reviving with the decline of love bertha began to find the position intolerable her mind was now very susceptible to affront and she was desirous of an opportunity to show that after all she was still the mistress of court lays it soon came for it chanced that some ancient lover of trees unpractical as the lays had ever been had planted six beeches in a hedgerow and these in course of time had grown into stately trees the admiration of all beholders but one day as bertha walked along a hideous gap caught her eye one of the six beeches had disappeared there had been no storm it could not have fallen of itself she went up and found it cut down and the men who had done the deed were already starting on another a ladder was leaning against it upon which stood a laborer attaching a line no sight is more pathetic than an old tree levelled with the ground and the space which it filled suddenly stands out with an unsightly emptiness but bertha was more angry than pained what are you doing hodgkins who gave you orders to cut down this tree the squire mum oh it must be a mistake mr craddock never meant anything of the sort he told us positive to take down this one and them others yonder you can see his mark mum nonsense i'll talk to mr craddock about it take that rope off and come down from the ladder i forbid you to touch another tree the man on the ladder looked at her but made no attempt to do as he was bid the squire said most particular that we was to cut that tree down to-day will you have the goodness to do as i tell you said bertha reddening with anger tell that man to unfasten the rope and come down 
i forbid you to touch the tree the man hodgkins repeated bertha's order in a surly voice and they all looked at her suspiciously wishing to disobey but not daring in case the squire should be angry well i'll take no responsibility for it please hold your tongue and do what i tell you as quickly as possible she waited till the men had gathered up their various belongings and trooped off End of chapter twenty